I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is VSEN's Tournament Betting Breakdown with analysis on betting all 32 first-round matchups. Along with my guy Amal Shaw, here is Jonathan Von Tobel. What's up, folks? Welcome in Tournament Betting Breakdown. Yep, we got two more hours on tap. We're going through every single matchup in the first round. The play-ins as well. We also get some good guests along the way. Dan Dockich was just with us in the first hour. Coming up in 30 minutes, Johnny Avello, DraftKings Sportsbook Director, is going to be with us. Talk us through uh, what was a wild day, it seemed. I was watching our broadcast earlier today, and they had Johnny in this big room with a bunch of computers and a bunch of people. Uh, he had a headset on. Looked a little stressed about getting some of these numbers out as the brackets were getting set. So. I, w- I was there with him, and I'll tell you, it wasn't easy. To their credit, though, they were putting up those numbers instantaneously it's a lot of fun to kind of see the inner workings and how they operate yeah all right well we'll ask johnny about that and much more uh, as now these numbers that were posted a couple of hours ago are on the move and have moved quite a bit so we roll through the rest of our uh, regions and games we start with the south region here in the top half of that we get a play in initially now the winner of wright state and bryant will take on arizona interesting as this has moved uh arizona excuse me wright state Initially, one and a half point favor, both at South Point and DraftKings. Uh, Circa opened up a little bit higher at two. But right now, Amal, we're looking at this on the screen, and uh, Wright State is a two, two and a half point favor in some spots. Two seems to be the resounding number at this point. So a little bit of support there uh, for Wright State. And also, as pointed out uh, by um, one of our listeners up on social media, Big Mo, uh, Wright State, the Raiders, they well, they play in Dayton, and this matchup will take place in Dayton, Ohio. So uh, a uh, somewhat regional bias there for Wright State. Yeah, absolutely. This is, I think, an opportunity for them. They don't have to travel far from the Nutter Center. This would be a great chance there. I think this is the better basketball team in this matchup here. I like them to get through, and I think the numbers went from one and a half to two. That's where we sit at. Uh, this is a team that came through a challenging league. Cleveland State winning the horizon in the regular mm-hmm. season. Oakland had a pretty good year as well. Uh, I thought they've done a nice job. Bryant is efficient offensively. I just don't know if they're necessarily quite as talented and as good as Wright State. Uh, I like them to advance here. Yeah, and right now, too, the interesting part about a matchup like this is these are two teams, and you can see right there the total. It tells you an idea of what we're going to see in this matchup. It's going to be fun. Both teams led their respective conferences in offense. Uh, Bryant in conference play, 110.6 points per 100 possessions. Wright State, 113.3. Uh, this is going to be a matchup where these teams should be able to score somewhat efficiently. Think about Wright State. It's going to be interesting to watch in this matchup. Wright State, uh, only 25.7% of their points come from beyond the arc. This is a team that operates strictly within the painted area and in two-point range, and that's going to be something to watch if Bryant can contain that attack inside because they were okay in terms of their interior defense, uh, Bryant. If you haven't seen Holden play yet, he's terrific at being able to get to where he wants to on the floor from dribble penetration. I think that'll be the difference in this game. I like Wright State to move on here. The Raiders have been solid, and I think they'll get it done. All right, let's move on uh, to Seton Hall and TCU. 
Uh, we had a little bit of a delay on this one, but Seton Hall eventually uh, gets posted in some spots as a one-point favorite. Uh, other spots pick, but Seton Hall minus one, the dominant number, and that's the dominant number now. One with a total of 129.5 or 130. Seton Hall, the favorite here. And TCU TCU is an interesting team all because when you look at like their overall resume and what they were able to do this year, uh, there's some pretty highs, high highs and some pretty low lows for this team. Uh, the highs for this team, namely beating Texas and Kansas, uh, Texas Tech and Kansas, uh, back-to-back games, right? The end of February, the beginning of March, two really good performances for TCU, but then flaming out the end of the regular season to a team like West Virginia. We also had some injury question marks about Mike Miles. It does seem like he's going to be okay and ready for the tournament, but uh, we'll make sure if that's going to be the case. But regardless, Seton Hall, one-point favorite here against the Horned Frogs. I like TCU here. Jamie Dixon's team has been very battle-tested in the Big 12. I thought the Big 12 and the SEC were neck-and-neck for the best leagues all year long. They're inconsistent shooting the basketball. Seton Hall, when you look at Willard's team, they look like they should be better than they are from a talent standpoint. But for whatever reason, JVT, they didn't show consistency throughout the season. And I think that'll be the difference in terms of how TCU defense was really impressed in that Big 12 tournament when they were down 18 against Texas at the break, could have folded the tent, come back in the second half against an elite defensive team in the Horn Fro- excuse me, Longhorns, and they get through. Is that more about Texas or TCU? I thought it was a combination of both. Okay. I, I think, you know, T- uh, Texas absolutely was at fault, but I think you have to give TCU credit. When you're down that large a margin, all it takes is one basket to really halt any kind of comeback. But TCU was able to overcome that, and I think they'll be able to do the same thing here. Boy, I looked at this t- uh, Seton Hall team. Their best win came back in December when they beat Michigan yep. in Ann Arbor. Since that point in time, they've been so highly inconsistent. And that win has lost its luster, by the way, right? A- absolutely. And so for me, I'm going to go with the number nine seed here in TCU. A- interesting matchup to watch. A TCU uh, really bad in Big 12 play and offensive efficiency. 96.8 points per 100 possessions. Turned it over on 23.2% of their possessions as well. But... One of the things that really saved them, offensive rebounding, grabbed 35.1% of their misses, and there were a lot of misses because they weren't a good offensive team, and you get a Seton Hall team who had some trouble keeping teams off the offensive glass opponents, grabbing 30.4% of their misses against Seton Hall. So TCU looks like, statistically at least, should be able to uh, not have their way, but have success on the offensive glass, which is one of the biggest things that kept them going throughout Big 12 play. So TCU again. Well, one-point underdog, total 130.5. This is one where I would expect a little bit of a lower-scoring game between two teams that are not really good. Uh, Seton Hall themselves, by the way, not very good on the interior, 44.3% on two-point shots in conference play. We go from there to what I think is one of those sexier matchups in the first round here, Amal. These next two are actually going to be really good. Houston UAB. We'll start here. Houston 8.5 at uh, DraftKings. Eight and a half at South Point, and then opens up eight over at Circa. Right now, up on the screen, uh, Houston uh, laying in the range of eight and a half and nine with a total of 136 or 137, depending on where you shop for some of your numbers. And so, when looking at, at this matchup, right, to me, the, the initial thing is how does UAB handle Houston on the glass? We know what they want to do, right? Yeah. They're, they're a good offensive team, but we're talking about the third best offensive rebounding team in the country. It is put up a shot, grab your miss, and then, of course, get second chance points. Can UAB, that's the first thing I thought of, is can UAB box these guys out and keep them off the offensive glass? Because that's hard for this Houston team. It, it, it's going to be the key here in yep. this matchup. This Blazers team, a couple things with them. I like Andy Kennedy as a coach. I think he's done a really nice job. But this team at times, they're reliant on the perimeter a little bit too much for me, and I think that could be a challenge against this Houston team. Remember, the Cougars, they don't shoot the ball well, yep. but at the same time, they can be extremely dangerous. Um I just look at UAB and I say, okay, this is a solid team. But for me, I just don't think they necessarily have enough consistency on the defensive end to be able to get through this matchup. I think Houston moves on despite their injuries they've had this year. Walker was tremendous uh, throughout the course of the season, winning the conference player of the year. 
but he's going to have a harder time against this defense getting clean looks. He's a smaller guy. You know, his quickness works in his league. But when you look at a guy who's 5'11", probably closer to 5'9", or 5'10", mm-hmm. trying against that Houston team, it's going to be a real challenge here. They were very fortunate to get through Middle Tennessee in that triple overtime game. Yeah. And so for me, yes, very fortunate in that game. That was a ridiculous game, by the way. Uh, so what I was looking at here is, and you kind of alluded to it, yeah. if Houston loses this game or if they don't cover this game, to me it's because of that offense. They shot just 31.7% from three-point range uh, in conference play. They were 10th in free throw rate. They shot 67.8% from the line as well. So they barely got to the line, and when they did, they didn't take advantage of it. So if Houston fails to cover a number like this, it's because the offense really hits the skids, and yeah. they're not getting those second-chance points like they want. Because they, they, to me, when I watch them, especially last year, it, it seems like a team that was just a little bit reliant on just put it up, grab your miss, and then see if you can get it back into the bucket. You know, you're absolutely right. And they can do that when they're more athletic and better against certain teams. And I think in a matchup like this against UAB, they may be able to do that to a certain extent. Buffin's got to stay out of foul trouble if they're going to have a chance. He gets in foul trouble. They're, they're going to be in serious trouble in this matchup. But it's going to be an interesting game. I, I, I wish Houston did not have the injuries that they have this yeah. year because I think this is a team that really could have made a Final Four run once again. Interesting trend for Houston this year in uh, six neutral site games. They are 5-1 and one straight up and against the spread. Uh, the other matchup that's going to be a lot of fun, Illinois and Chattanooga. One of the bigger discrepancies on the board between the Ken Palm and then the betting line. Illinois, uh, Illinois opens up 7.5, a projected 5-point win according to Ken Palm's site, which sometimes the betting market really does reflect that a lot, um, all. Uh, but from a matchup standpoint overall, too, this seems like it's going to be a fun one because Chattanooga dominant defensively in the SOCON. 99.3 points allowed per 100 possessions, 30.4% allowed from beyond the arc to their opponents in conference play. I think there's a little bit of a, uh, hey, you know, what do you do with a guy like Kofi Coburn? Uh, but you have Silvio D'Souza, former Jayhawk, yeah. that's down low that can match up with him, gives up a little bit of size. But I would look at this overall. I think Chattanooga would be pretty live here in this matchup against Illinois. I don't disagree with you. David Jean-Baptiste had that game-winning shot against Furman. was terrific all year long. But, you know, you mentioned D'Souza. D'Souza only fifth in minutes played on this team. Yep. Hasn't really been effective. And we saw why KU wasn't that worried about whether he came back from an eligibility standpoint. I just uh, wonder if you, because you're grasping for size to match up with yes. Coburn, do you get a little bit more in terms of minutes out of him, right? I, I, that's a great point, yeah. and I think you will, because he's the only guy on that roster that can really at least challenge. And can he stay out of foul trouble with the key for this team? Illinois has been inconsistent. Hawkins, when he gets to the free throw line, inconsistent. We know he can knock down threes. We've seen what Plummer can do shooting the ball, but he has been a little bit inconsistent down the stretch. Got up to a fast start in Big Ten play. Uh, you know, for me, it's really going to be about Andre Carbello. Can he dictate <laughs> yeah. this game and how well he plays? I think it's going to be key whether Illinois covers this game or not. Yeah, Andre Carbello has uh, long been, uh, I guess, the goat of the uh, the, the shortcomings of Illinois. At times, he could be a, a pretty decent player, but at other times, a little wild and out of control. And we saw him at the uh, the middle of their loss uh, last time out, Illinois, with a uh, chance against Indiana. Big fast break opportunity. He gets down the floor, but a little too wild and misses a layup. And Corbello's kind of been hot and cold, and for the most part, he's been kind of cold. You, you do wonder with the minutes played, uh, if maybe you start to see those get cut into because he has been a little bit uh, inconsistent, we'll call it, to be fair. Uh, you're absolutely right, and that's putting it mildly. And, uh, you know, Frazier's another guy who's been on that roster forever. He's going to have to play well if the Illini are going to advance. He can shoot the ball from the perimeter. He needs to do an effective job. And here's my thing with uh, Illinois. And, uh, you know, a lot of the times when you look at uh, ATS numbers, a lot of people will take them as gospel. For me, when I look at ATS numbers, it's a, it's a representation of how the market views you. And if you're covering numbers right, uh, then the market, you know, you're a little undervalued by the market. But if you're not covering those numbers, you're a little overvalued by the market. This is an Illinois team that was 13-18 and 18 against the spread this season, only covered 42% of their games. In conference play, they were 9-12 and 12 ATS. 
They're a team that I think the market perceives to be a little bit better. And some of these numbers represent that. Again, when some of the statistical websites project this as a five-point win, but the line out there is seven and a half, it, it represents that you know kind of discrepancy that we've seen now at this point. Absolutely. And uh, I, I look at, you know, you're right. I do have a bias towards the Big Ten. However, some of these teams, Illinois, Purdue, Michigan State, I just don't think they're necessarily as good as the perception of them is. I think Wisconsin and Iowa right now are, I know Wisconsin got beat by Michigan State, but I think they're two of the more dangerous teams in this league. Uh, Wisconsin's got an injury question mark about that, right, too? Johnny yeah. Davis, we'll see if that's going to be a problem for him. All right, well, let's get to the South Region's bottom half. When we come back, we'll take a look at some of these matchups, including a Colorado State team that have been kind of down on it throughout the rest of the regular season, the end of the regular season, and they get Michigan in this first matchup. Sends tournament betting breakdown along with my guy Amal Shaw. Here is Jonathan Von Tobel. Welcome back into the tournament betting breakdown. You heard it. We got a lot left to get to. We're in the South region right now, breaking down every single game one by one. Coming up in 15 minutes, so Johnny Avello, DraftKings Sportsbook Director, is going to be with us. Get his thoughts and some of the early action, too, by the way, on some of these because, of course, uh, we did hear like during the show, and you were listening and watching up on vcin.com, big bets were coming in on the futures market as well. So we'll see if Johnny's taken in anything in the last few hours since the brackets have been set. Because that does change things them all, by the way, right? You know, for example, so I've got a ticket on Kansas at 13-1 to 1 to win the whole thing. I bet it right before the season started. I thought they were going to be a dominant team. I thought they were going to be much better than they've shown. But i got to tell you, as much as I lost hope in that ticket throughout, because I think they're going to be a good team, but they looked somewhat you know, fragile as the year went along, the way that that bracket breaks down, Kansas got a pretty good shot. And so a lot of people will now start to play these futures because the brackets are set and you now see a path toward a title. Yeah, based on the bracket KU got, I thought they were giving the bag out to the tournament directors here instead of the uh, players like they usually do. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so we'll talk about that much more with Johnny Avella. All right. Let's take a look at some of these games in the bottom half of the South region. We'll start with the 6-11 matchup, Colorado State and Michigan. Michigan opens up two and a half or two, depending on where you shop and look. Uh, right now on the board, Colorado State catching uh, against this team. If I can pull it up and we got it on the screen too. Uh, two and a half still with a total 140 and 139 and a half. So I bring this up because these are two teams which I kind of, you know, of course, Michigan, you fall out of love with a Michigan team. I thought they were going to be very good this year and ultimately not. But Michigan, any better defensively, do you think? In Big Ten play, they were 11th in defensive efficiency. Opponents posted a 52.4% effective field goal percentage. They hit 53.1% of their attempts inside. And while Colorado State can be a really electric offensive team, this is the best offensive team in the Mountain West, you know, their offense fell down the stretch. They weren't very efficient offensively here at the Thomas and Mack Center during the Mountain West Conference tournament. And they weren't really covering numbers down the stretch either. So I think these are two teams that I am not really fond of taking on one another in a 6-11 matchup. I really like Michigan in this one, and no bias there for the Big Ten, but (laughs) I'm going to tell you the problem is, as good as David Roddy has been, and I think he's had a tremendous career, Stevens has really shot the ball well. JVT, the problem for me is, I don't think Roddy, if he's matched up in a situation against Dickinson, he's going to have to live on the perimeter, which he's capable of doing. But if you go on that post, I mean, he's got to shoot over a statue. That that is not going to be easy. Hunter Dickinson... I don't think TV does him justice in terms of how big he is until you see him in person. And you look at Diabita, uh, Diabita in terms of this Michigan team, 6'11". They've got length. That's going to be a problem. This is where sometimes I get concerned on these short lines with some of these mid-major programs against a team that they're probably equal to in terms of how well they've played. Colorado State's been terrific. 
Uh, but I think Michigan could potentially, with their experience with Eli Brooks in that backcourt, I think that could be the difference in this one. I like the Wolverines here. Yeah, Roddy's an interesting cat because he can operate down low, but he's also a 45% shooter yeah. from three. And so do you start to see him pull guys out to the perimeter and more operate like that? He's more comfortable a little bit down low. I actually ended up finishing in terms of individual offensive rating, 132nd in the country in terms of individual players. But the, the change in Roddy's game, and if you start to see him face the basket a little bit more and operate a majority of these times outside, because not only are you talking about the size there for Michigan uh, down low when a, a, a Dinkinson type, but you mentioned it. Diabate is a very athletic 6'11", right? You can go down the list. There's a lot of good forwards uh, uh, here on this Michigan team that could contain him down low if need be or if they get switched onto him. So, And here's the thing, too, with Colorado State, as I mentioned, like being less than impressed with them all. San Diego State's a good defensive team, but you only scored 58 against them. In the round before that, you took on Utah State. You barely got by them there. You scored 53 against Utah State, who, you know, they're a fine defensive team, but really struggled in an ugly game against the Aggies. And just still, you know, when you talk about some of these results down the stretch for Colorado State, not really covering numbers, being a little overvalued by the market. I like the team, but they haven't been shooting the ball very well. And we haven't even mentioned, like, they have David Roddy. Isaiah Stevens is a very good guard, too. But you wonder if he gets swallowed up by some of the bigger backcourt plays you're going to see there, too. Yeah, but I like Stevens' quickness. Yeah. He's really got a good quick release. He can shoot the basketball well. I'm not as concerned about that. Uh, but to me, again, it's going to come down to what Roddy does. And by the way, JVT, if Roddy gets in any kind of foul trouble, they're in oh, yeah. trouble. And who the, who's, the question is, who's going to guard Dickinson inside? I mean, you look at the Big Ten half the time. I mean, it's like Bogart himself, uh, like, against the basket, just getting the layup. It's going to be an interesting challenge here. I, I thought Colorado State, Got a bad matchup for them in the first round. I think this is a good team. And I'm not as concerned that they were struggling a little bit in Mountain West. I think San Diego State's terrific. We know that how good they are defensively. Boise State, I'm not going to hold that against them. And then the familiarity of playing against teams twice a year, having seen them for a number of years, I, I think it makes it a lot easier on uh, opponents when they face off against Medvedev's team. To, to your point, too, here, a somewhat small Colorado State team. David Roddy at 6'6", is primarily a front court player. John Tanji at 6'5", Chandler Jacobs 6'3", and their starting backcourt is A. Stevens, Kendall Moore, both six foot. So a very small team. For, uh, for Colorado State in this matchup against Michigan. It, it's going to be tough. And, you know, uh, Dave Ross and I were talking one day. I think it was the Murray State-Florida State game. He bet Murray State. Mm -hmm. And he goes, I knew I lost my bet when I walked into the arena and I saw the size of Florida State. Is it the John Morant one? Yeah, the John yeah. Morant. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, watched that, I watched that at the D with, uh, yeah, with yeah, Mike was, Palm. Yeah, we were watching it together. It together. And yeah, I, uh, and I. Yes, yeah, it's a good memory. <laughs> yeah. Very much uh, had, I had a good amount of money on Florida State in that game. All right, uh, let's move on from there. Next up. Tennessee versus Longwood. Tennessee opens up 16 at Circa. South Point opened it up 17 and a half. Uh, right now on the screen, Longwood catching 17 across the board with a total of 132 and a half or 133. I, it, it's intriguing from a matchup standpoint, only from this. Tennessee is a team that is very reliant on their three-point shooting them all. On the season, they average 111.4 11 points per possession or per 100 possessions. They shoot 36% from deep, but they don't really have an inside presence. They get 35.9% of their, uh, their points, just points, from three-point range, only 46% on two-point attempts. And in SEC play, that dropped to 44%. So if these jump shots aren't falling for Tennessee, I still think they have, obviously, personnel advantage here against Longwood. They should be able to win this on talent and roster and bodies alone. But in terms of covering like a 17, if the shots aren't falling, I mean, you could see Longwood stick around in a game like this. I, I don't disagree with you at all. The number's a little bit high. Longwood can really shoot the ball themselves from the perimeter, I think 37 38%. But I would say this, John Fulkerson has regressed a little bit this year for Tennessee, but he's a guy that could be a problem in the post. Very cerebral, 23-year-old uh, senior. He's got a ton of experience, and I think against a team like Longwood, he can be far more effective than he is in some of the SEC matchups. When you're going up against an Obi, uh, 
not Obi Toppin, but his brother uh, there at mm-hmm. Kentucky or Oshibwe or one of these kinds of guys with tremendous length. It's a challenge. Against a team like Longwood, though, I think they can be far more effective. And the other thing with Tennessee, though, if Barnes' team struggles a little bit, their defense is going to keep them in games. This team can defend extremely well. Love the way they played down the stretch. Really dominated AM today, but I thought AM was in a tough spot. Um, yeah, Jacob Toppin, by the way, his yeah. brother. Uh, all right, now we test Amal Shaw and see if he can actually get through something here non biased. Ohio State, Loyola, Chicago. What do you make your Buckeyes here, Amal? Now, the opener to, get, to paint the uh, scene here. Loyola minus two, Loyola minus one, or one and a half, depending on where you shop. Uh, we have now seen this really shift. Loyola just laying one or a pick in some spots with a total of 133. Yeah, I think the Buckeyes are in a little bit of trouble here. When you look at this team, they've really struggled down the stretch. That's been the biggest concern. Yeah, they lost that home game against Michigan, collapsed in the second half. But I thought they had another bad collapse against Penn State in the Big Ten tournament. They get wiped out on the road in uh, College Park against Maryland. We see Iowa come in on a Saturday and beat them by 13. The defense has been the problem for the Buckeyes of late. They've got to get better on that end. If they can do that, they've got a shot against this Loyola team. Valentine's team got off to a terrific start during the regular season uh, in the Missouri Valley. But then Mm -hmm. down the stretch, they faltered a little bit. They did have a nice turnaround in conference tournament. But to me, JVT, I, I think this team is dangerous. Um, but the question for me is, from a defensive standpoint, who's necessarily going to slow down Liddell? And, and does Malachi Brandon, who's been dealing with a little bit of an injury, can he be as efficient? Um, I, I like this Ramblers team. Uh, I think it's a complete toss-up. Tough game to call, but if you're taking Loyola, I don't have a problem with that at all. Yeah, that's where I was looking. Ohio State, you mentioned it, not really impressive. One and four straight up and against the spread their last five games. Defense, what happened to the defense? Average defensive rating during that five-game stretch, 115.8. And, and we're talking about Nebraska and Penn State in, in those matchups that you mentioned. Yeah, well, you know, they saw the Buckeyes football team not playing a defense. Yeah. They figured, why do we need to? Yep. And what's interesting here, too, Loyola-Chicago, I, I think initial thought, because you, you remember that tournament run, people might think Loyola-Chicago, big front court, all this. This is very much a small Smaller, ball yeah. team, man. Like, they're talking about the the tallest defender or tallest player. Uh, they only have two guys on this roster taller than 6'7", and their starting lineup, we're talking about 6'4 to 6'7 across the board. Look, if it were last year's team with Clayton Crutwig, I think they would destroy Ohio State. Yep. I think without that size inter- on the interior, we saw Kofi Coburn really struggle uh, along with uh, Desunmu in that matchup last year. But to me, uh, this is a pretty good matchup if you're both teams. I think they both have to feel like they can get out of the first round here. All right, what do we make of you, uh, Villanova and Delaware here? Uh, on paper, a little bit of a mismatch. But it, I'll say this, uh, from a market perspective, it did seem to open up as a little bit, uh, we'll, saw, we'll call it high for Villanova, as high as 17 in some spots. That was DraftKings. We're down to 16 or 16 and a half here. And in fact, one shot flashing 15 and a half right now. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a bad play on the Blue Hens here. I like this Villanova team. Not as good as some of the teams in the past. Slater's been terrific. Was really the catalyst in that uh, tournament for them in, down the stretch against St. John's. Uh, but to me, I look at this Delaware team. They can shoot the ball well. From the floor, JVT, about 47%. It's actually better than what Villanova is at 44%. But the, where the problem you run into with Villanova is number one in the nation at the free throw line. Almost 83% as a team. Those are like NBA stats. Yeah. Uh, really impressive in terms of what they can do, whether it's, you know, Samuels, whether it's uh, Gillespie, it doesn't make a difference. They can all shoot the ball. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Uh, Dylan Painter and how he performs here. Uh, now, down the stretch in certain matchups, hasn't played a lot of minutes. Uh, right last time we saw them play, only played, I think, uh, 10 minutes against UNC Wilmington. But can't get out there and get some good minutes against a Villanova team that's somewhat small. So we'll see if Painter can get some minutes uh, in there. 
Big number, big number. All right. When we come back, Johnny Avella, director of DraftKings Sportsbook, is going to join us. Let's get his thoughts on what has transpired today. Any of the big notable bets they've taken up to this point. And just what the experience was like as these numbers are set. It's not the old days anymore, Maul. We need these numbers the second these brackets are set. And Johnny, you know, the rest of these odds makers in the middle of it. We'll talk to John when we come back. Sends tournament betting breakdown along with my guy Amal Shaw. Here is Jonathan Von Tobel. Join the College Hoops action for free with the March Mania Survivor presented by KFC. Pick winning teams throughout the tournament to outlast the competition and feast on your share of $30,000. Head to DraftKings.com slash KFC March Mania. That's KFC dash March dash Mania. Now to play free for your cut of the cash. KFC, it's finger looking good. Terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, we welcome in Johnny Avello, director of the Sportsbook over at DraftKings, to give us some time and talk about the day that was. Uh, John, I was watching earlier today on the uh, broadcast that DraftKings and Vsin teamed up together with. It was a good one, and you looked very busy, my friend. Just what was the day like for you, huh? Johnny, we're going to have to pay the phone bill. We're going to have to call you right back, and we'll see okay. if we can get you on. We have some audio difficulties. We'll be right back with you. Okay, all right. So we'll, we'll get Johnny back, and we'll discuss everything. But I, I will say it's going to be pretty interesting uh, as we get his perspective what the bets were like coming in as these numbers are set. Because as you know, Maul, right, for the most part, you're going to get recreational bettors and whatnot uh, who are paying attention, who are ready to go, and will bet some of these, right? You know, I, I've got five bets in myself already. But mostly it's sharp people who are coming in, getting ready to bet on these, ready to move them in those directions. And some of these moves that you see early now are the ones that you should respect to pay attention to because those are the ones that – those are the guys who have the respected money and the respected opinions for the most part. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, no surprise that they're going to jump on certain numbers they think to be an advantage. And just like the bookmakers, you have your own numbers and you apply them and you see where the lines come out. So, obviously, we've seen quite a bit of that so far in terms of them. You mentioned you made five bets thus far. Any that you'd want to share with us that you thought really kind of stood out to you? I know you're on Boise State, and I think you and I kind of aligned on that one. I thought Boise State had a really good matchup here. So Boise State uh, was one of them against Memphis. It's going to be, uh, I think, the size, everything they'll be able to run if they need to, but I think really they'll be able to slow Memphis down, defend at a really high level. That's such a like a front court forward oriented, like six foot seven laden roster yeah. that Boise State has. They're great. Uh, so I got Indiana State, or excuse me, Indiana State, Indiana minus three and a half over Wyoming. We talked about that earlier with Dockage. Um, Murray State plus one and a half against San Francisco. I, I'm not I'm not big on the San Francisco team. They're a team that has a high rate of three-point frequency, but they don't shoot the ball very well. We have seen multiple times this year, really poor second-half team. They blew that big halftime lead to St. Mary's. Couldn't get over the hump the second time around against them, too. I think, was it uh, Portland or one of those games where they um, they um, they dropped a big second-half uh, second lead, too? So I just, I've watched a lot of San Francisco. Haven't been overly impressed with the Dons up to this point. So took Murray State plus one and a half. Um, and then I got a couple others. What do you got? No, I, was just, I think we have uh, Johnny back on with us here. Oh, we got Johnny? No, I don't oh, think we sorry. have Johnny yet. No. Um, uh, but yeah, San Francisco, which we'll get to the in-depth breakdown on that. And Murray State's plus one and a half still uh, over at DraftKings. And um, South Dakota State's going to be an interesting one, too, because I did grab two and a half because I figured the number would just drop. But I also think the Jack Rapids are in a pretty good match. So I was... I was on I was on Creighton uh, in that blowout in the Big East tournament um, against Providence, but we'll get more details on that. Johnny's with us right now. Uh, so, John, as the day has kind of progressed here, uh, what was some of the notable action that you took early on? You mentioned the two betters that you had. Uh, any notable, like, lopsided action on a side that a number that you guys put up throughout the day? 
You know, JVT, the, the great part about it today was um, when we put up the numbers, we took some big bets and the games moved a little bit, but they most of them have come back to our original number. Yeah. Uh, and so that's great. That's that's what you like to see as a bookmaker, not getting too exposed. Uh, you know, a couple of numbers did move. Uh, the Michigan game, we opened a pick, and Michigan went to two and a half. That was one that moved a little bit. I know the Duke, we opened up 20, and they were down. Last I saw was about 17 mm-hmm. or so. So there was, you know, a couple of games moved two, two and a half points. But the the ones we took some real big pops on, like Gonzaga, we opened 26 and a half. We were as high as 27 and a half. And then all the all the uh, the money and the and the uh, line started to drop, so balanced out on that game pretty well. Johnny JBT's got Kansas at thirteen to one to win the national title. I was there today with you when somebody bet Kansas to win the national championship. I think at fourteen to one. Uh, for you guys, how much of an adjustment do you make on a bracket and how you see it? Because you and I talked about this. I thought KU got a very favorable draw considering their season, where you could have even question if they should have been on the one line. Yeah, you know, I think the guy that made the bet got a got a good price. Um, you know, I I think maybe Kansas should have been maybe a little less than fourteen. Maybe twelve was probably a, still a good number. So I think he got some really good value on that bet. Um, but hey, you got to get there, guys. They got to. I do agree with you, uh, Amal, that the bracket looks pretty favorable. But you know, you still got to win uh, all the games to to win it all. You can't you can't have a bad game in this tournament. Otherwise, you're done. So, Johnny, one of the uh, I think one of the darling games that we were going to discuss a little bit later, uh, it's going to be South Dakota State and Providence. Now, where did you guys open up this game, and what early action did you see here? Because I think a lot of folks are going to come in on this. Uh, hey, Providence, they've been playing with fire all year long. It finally came to a head against Creighton the other day. Uh, they are due for a quote unquote upset here against the South Dakota State team that has one of the best offenses in the country. Yeah, we we did take South Dakota State money. Uh, you know, I remember that was one of the fifty thousand dollar bets that yep. came in. We opened this game two and a half, and I I'm trying to look right now to see where we we are just currently. Uh, there it is. Uh, we are two, so you know, half a point move. That's it. Um, but uh, you know, you want a darling like South Dakota State, but you probably want a darling you know, getting seven, eight points mm-hmm. to be They're probably going to take quite a bit of money line money. I would think. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to agree with you. Yeah. You, if you can get a much better number in terms, obviously not this matchup, but some of those makes a huge difference. Johnny, in terms of the action, uh, how much of it will you see come in prior to Thursday? Because so many people arrive in town late Wednesday night, potentially Thursday morning, or has it changed drastically since the whole business has now become more mobile and more app-based in terms of from a betting standpoint? And you referenced that we saw bettors making bets, you know, within nanoseconds of the numbers coming out. Yeah, you know, we took uh, quite a bit of action today. Tomorrow, I think, will be more on the lighter side. Um, there'll be more stuff up tomorrow, so I think besides the games and the money lines and the totals, you'll see other propositions uh, getting bet tomorrow. We'll have the, the women's up and some of the other tournaments. So I think some of that will get some action. And then Wednesday, Tuesday night, for so, uh, we'll get some action certainly on those games Wednesday. Then from that point on, I think tomorrow will be the softest day of all. So this kind of represents like a soft Super Bowl week, right, John, where most of the a vast majority of the public action is going to come in uh, by the time we get to those Thursday, Friday games. That's correct. Yeah, and then it might, you know, you do have these other uh, these other games to play, these play-in games. So I think they're going to probably, if you're going to bet parlays or 
uh, you're going to use those games. Then you're going to involve the other games on, on uh, you know, Thursday, Friday. So a lot of the times you'll see uh, betters and just folks in, in general when they're filling out their brackets gravitate toward these 5-12 matchups, right, to uh, pick these upsets. But it does seem, Johnny, that actually this year it seems that the 4-13 matchups are a little bit more sexy for some of the underdogs. You have Arkansas-Vermont in a 4-13 matchup. You have Illinois-Chattanooga. And then Wisconsin-Colgate. And that's the one I wanted to focus on here, too. because And that's actually a 3-14 matchup. But Wisconsin's got questions about Johnny Davis, at least in terms of the percentage of health that he's at. And it's a Colgate team that's senior-laden. They can actually play some pretty good basketball. Uh, I would expect that that was one where the dog got a little early action, no? Certainly did. Yep. Uh, that was that was one of those uh, 50k bets. Uh, took I think we opened up that game nine. We were eight quickly. Uh, I think we're even down a little bit further than that right now. So you're you're right. That was one. You know, one thing I noticed about the uh, the tournament this year is I didn't see any really strong bias for any teams as far as uh, you know where they're playing the games. Usually, a couple of teams, uh, you know playing very close proximity to home and almost home courtish. And I'm not seeing a lot of that in this tournament. I mean, Purdue's playing in Milwaukee. You want to call that a little bit of home court, you know, close to home court, but nothing, nothing to me really stands out to be that significant. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that's something that's key when you look at some of these matchups. And I also think that this tournament guys is wide open last year. You know, we thought Gonzaga was going to be the one potentially cutting down the nets. Baylor was a legitimate threat and they turned Mm -hmm. out to be the champion, but as good as the Zags in Arizona are, guys, I don't know if it's clear-cut for them. Yep. Johnny, hey, uh, we are up against it, but we appreciate some time and uh, great work today. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. We'll talk again very soon. Yep, Thank you. You got it. Johnny Avell, again, direct, uh, director of the uh, Sportsbook over at DraftKings. Yeah, we'll get more into that matchup. Uh, but, yeah, Colgate Plus, uh, actually, I'm sitting on Colgate Plus 8.5. That was one of the early bets I made, down to 6.5 now, too. So uh, that is going to be a fascinating game. All of these are going to be absolutely fantastic, man. Tournament is the best. Uh, All right, we'll come back. Uh, We resume our breakdown of our brackets. On the other side, let's talk a little bit about the Midwest region, that top half, including San Diego State and Creighton, the game that I'm involved with. Sends tournament betting breakdown along with my guy Amal Shaw. Here is Jonathan Von Tobel. Get everything you need to bet the madness this year with 24-7 streaming. Daily best bet emails and our tournament betting guide, including advice, data, and strategy for only $19. Whether you're filling out a bracket or betting against the spread, our team is here to get you ready for every game and every round of the tournament. Get analysis from our experts, including Greg Hoos, Peterson, Matt Humans, hey me, Jonathan Vontobel, and Tim Murray. They have insights on every key team conference a player to watch, from the favorites to the potential Cinderella's. Sign up today to get the betting guide, plus full access to VSIN through April 5th for only $19 at vsin.com slash madness. Always feels good to be named, you know what I mean? Especially ahead of Tim Murray in the copy, you know? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I uh, love Tim. Apparently, he's called Tim Money Murray. I didn't know that. All right. By All right. himself? <laughs> no, I think uh, humans calls him that. Uh, Midwest region, top half. Let's go here. So, the winner of Texas Southern, Texas A&M Corpus Christi is going to get the honor of being eliminated by Kent. I shouldn't say that. We have seen the 116 upset already. Uh, it's only once, but we've seen it. So, it can happen. Uh, but we should talk about this matchup overall because this is going to be one of our first play-in games that we will see again, Texas Southern and Corpus Christi. So what do we make of these two? Because I think when you looked at overall the matchup among, it did seem that when you looked at the defensive capabilities of Texas A&M, 
uh, excuse me, Texas Southern, I think they had the better ed- edge here. Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, uh, in conference play, just 101.6 points per 100 possessions. They were eighth in their conference in effective field goal percentage. They had no interior presence whatsoever, couldn't shoot the ball. And, by the way, one of the low-key things that you can tell if your offense struggles, uh, 10% essentially of their shot attempts were blocked. So it was not very <laughs> good uh, for Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. And this is a Texas Southern team that only gave up 92.2 points per 100 possessions in conference play. But for me, the bigger indicator here is that they are 107th in the country overall in defensive efficiency, giving them a pretty big edge uh, in this matchup. Also, don't forget, this is a team that won in Gainesville, right? They Texas Southern beat Florida uh, at the O-Dome earlier this year. So, or actually back in December, um, Look, they've got a little bit more experience. They've been in this playing situation previously. I'm not going to get involved in this game at all. I don't have one edge one way or the other. You know, you, a lot of swack games, unless you're involved in during the conference year, I don't pay attention to that or the Southland. Uh, so for me, this is just a complete stay away spot. But you referenced it, and we see this number going all the way up to three and a half now. Yep. And Texas Southern, too, it, it, it's the same thing almost every single year where they just schedule out, like, out of conference games all on the road, just a brutal schedule at the beginning of the year. But think about this the first portion of their schedule, they started 0 and 7. They went to, or, these are all road games Oregon, St. Mary's, Washington, Air Force, NC State, BYU, Louisiana Tech. Uh, Florida, they won there, and then UT Rio Grande, and then you start to get uh, into some of the other uh, lower-tiered matchups and then into conference play. But still, uh, the initial thought is, hey, this record's terrible. It's because all these money games are at the beginning of this schedule. But since December 1st, this is a team that, again, started the season 1-7, uh, and seven, uh, ended it 18-12. and 12. So it gives you an idea, 18-5 and five stretch to end the year for Texas Southern, a very good team. So we go from there, and again, the winner's going to take on Kansas. Uh, right now, too, we should note, uh, it opened up here, this matchup, 2.5 in favor of Texas Southern, up to 3.5 in some spots with a total of 135. All right, Thursday, March 17th as well, 8-9 matchup, San Diego State and Creighton. Love to get your thoughts here on this one. So Creighton initially opens up as about a two-point underdog, depending where you look, one and a half. Uh, now two across the board, I'll say that's the consensus number with a total of 119.5 or 120 and a half. Uh, offense will be hard to come by in this game between these two. San Diego State is a terrible offensive team. They have been all year long. And Creighton, of course, losing their lead guard, Nembhard. It has hurt their offense to a certain extent, but they're starting to get used to it without them all. They played a lot better. They really impressed me in the Big East tournament. They had an opportunity to win this whole thing. Came up a little bit short. Obviously, no surprise against a great team like Villanova. But uh, I I tend to uh, think this is a tough game to call. I like the Aztecs a lot. I'm a big Matt Bradley guy. But to me, the problem is inside, they're just inconsistent uh, in terms whether it's a rope or whomever it may be, Mensa. They just don't. They can't finish consistently around the basket, JVT. Mm -hmm. I think there could be a difference for this team. Uh, Pullum's been awesome in terms of his pull-up game. I don't know if there's a better player in college basketball off of one leg than him on a 17-foot jumper, but uh, I'm going to stay away from this one. This is one of those games I want to catch a team down seven or eight in play and take a plus six and a half. Yeah, uh, Pullum, you mentioned uh, one of the nicest floaters I've seen, but he never shoots. Like, that's the problem. He yeah. has, like, zero confidence when it comes to shooting that thing. Creighton, big issues with turnovers, and that's helped uh, That's kept, That's kept. helped them down, held them down uh, offensively. But as I mentioned, Getting used to it without playing without Nembhard. They have covered three straight and four out of their last five. And, you know, one of those games, of course, Providence got blown out by the Friars. That was the first game uh, without Nembhard. Since then, though, covering those games and winning. And then, of course, blowing out Providence in that 85-58 uh, semifinal matchup in the Big East tournament. So we go from there. And, by the way, yeah, I took Creighton plus two and a half in that game. We'll, we'll see if, you know, twos are the, the number now. But, Watching San Diego State, how bad they've been offensively, it just seems like it's going to be a rock fight, and I'll take Creighton, who has been a little undervalued uh, by the number up to this point. All right, 
Let's go back to one of your Big Ten teams, Amal. Talk a little bit about Iowa. Opens up 10 against Richmond right now on the screen against the Spiders. We're talking about, uh, let's see, not two and a half. That was a morning game. Uh, nine and a half with a total of 150 and a half. We'll call that the consensus at this point right now. And I got to tell you, so Iowa has the best player on the floor. That is clear, right? Keegan Murray's freaking awesome. Uh, the size advantage as well. They deserve to be favored. They deserve to be favored by this much. Question is, like, I guess, like, like Hawkeyes, you should be able to take advantage of Richmond's defense. They were ninth and 8-10 play in terms of defensive efficiency. They gave up 35.8% to opponents from deep. Like, I guess the only thing I could find here, Mal, when looking over this matchup, Iowa had some trouble keeping opponents off the offensive glass, but Richmond's not even a good rebounding team, you know? Yeah, if, K- if Kale gets an offensive rebound, follow him. He can't shoot free throws. Right. That's not a problem. You look at Golden, he's not going to necessarily be able to beat you. Uh, you're not that concerned about it. Here's my question. Who's going to guard uh, Keegan Murray? Right. Because Keegan Murray, in my opinion, should have been the Big Ten player, player of the year. I know it went to Johnny Davis. Murray was outstanding in this Big Ten tournament. I mean, he he was absolutely on fire. This Hawkeyes team, JBT, right now, down the stretch over the last 10 games, I think playing as well as anybody in America. Nine and one of their last 10 games. They put up 112 against Northwestern. Offense continues to flourish. Gilliard's terrific. Uh, and he can cause Bohannon some serious problems bringing the ball up the floor. He's his own individual press. NCAA leader all-time in steals. But... I just don't think they have enough to slow down this team. McCaffrey's sons, both of them have done a really nice job on them. I I think Iowa is that it's apex from a confidence standpoint. I think it's a good matchup for them with the way they score the ball. Burton's going to have to have a monster day along with Gilliard if Richmond's going to have an opportunity in this game. I'm going to tell you what, this is the one Big Ten team I'd, I'd be ready to lay the number with. Yeah, I, this, that's where I was kind of leaning here, too. And Keegan Murray, you mentioned it. Like, there's no body matchup out there for him. And when you're looking at Richmond's roster, he's been fantastic. You're t- like, look at some of these performances. Like, today, yeah, only 19 points uh, on six of, uh, what was it, 16 shooting. But, like, the Indiana game, dropping 32 points, was 8 of 10 from three-point range. Like, 26 points against Rutgers. Dominated at Northwestern, even in the lost Illinois on the road, had thirty or had excuse me, had twenty two points in that game and ten rebounds, or excuse me, eleven rebounds. He's fantastic. To, to your point, that was his lowest point total since January twenty seventh, yeah. nineteen today. Yep. yep, it was not. You look at these point totals: 32, 26, 26, 22, 23, 26. Like he's he's insane. And when you have, especially in college basketball, when you have a player like this on the floor, a dominant wing player like that. It's going to make all the difference in the world. I don't know if you saw the game yesterday. Uh, uh, was that the one against Indiana, right? Uh, where they beat Iowa? Yeah. yeah. I mean, when they needed a bucket, they were down. They just go to him on a three-point shot. I mean, yep. one stretch, he hit four consecutive threes. I just think Iowa was playing its best basketball. They've been playing far better defensively. Richmond, give them a ton of credit. I thought Mooney's team disappointed this year during the regular season, but they win four in a row in the A-10. They got here. Um, but I, I think they got a bad matchup. Yep. All right, let's go to uh, the last one here that we're going to discuss in the Midwest region top half. Providence. Circa opens them up three. South Point DraftKings open them up two. Right now on the board, two with a total of 150. They are taking on South Dakota State. Now, this is, to be fair, because South Dakota State's going to be a sexy selection here, and a lot of it will be framed as Providence topping the luck factor for Ken Palm, right? You can't keep winning these single-digit games. By the way, we saw it come to a head. As I mentioned, I was on Creighton in that big East tournament game where Creighton blew them out 85-58. to But make no mistake about it, folks. South Dakota State is a damn good team. Offensively, they're one of the better ones in the country. They finished 12th in terms of overall offensive efficiency. Dominated their conference in terms of offensive efficiency, 122.9. They can shoot the ball extremely well, 45% from deep, and led the country in three-point shooting. While the the way to frame it might be Providence's due here, Amal, I think it's also South Dakota State's a really good team. 
You look at Wilson in terms of what he's been able to do for this team. Outstanding. You reference the three-point shooting. This team is tremendous. They, they're very efficient in terms of how they move the ball. They're going to take the best shot available. I would disagree with the Ken Palm perspective on Providence in this sense. I think there is an art, and credit goes to teams that know how to win close games. I, I think there's a certain level of calmness with this team. However, I, I think South Dakota State's a far better team than people realize if they haven't seen them play. Man, this is a good basketball team. I know people say, well, it's an upset based on seeding. Look, in a one-game scenario, I don't look at it as that much of an upset. I thought Providence really benefited from how dominant they were at the Dunkin' Donuts Center this year, losing only one game against Villanova. They did play well back at uh, the Pavilion when they lost that game, a tight one against Villanova. But to me, I don't think they're quite as good uh, away from home. And then A.J. Reeves got banged up in that Creighton game. He's questionable in this game. That's 10 points you're looking at potentially losing. Horkler's the one guy that can knock down three-point shots for them. Durham's got to play well, and so does Watson. And from a free-throw standpoint, you give a big edge to South Dakota State. And when you talk about luck, too, it's just usually teams to have sustained success in close games, coin flip games. That's when you talk about like luck, for lack of a better term. The overtime win over DePaul, the lose to Villanova, the follow that up with the overtime win over Butler, the triple overtime marathon against Xavier. Yeah. Like that's a Providence. That's what you're talking about when you talk about luck here with the Friars. But we will see if that continues. Another one possession game, it seems, uh, coming up in the first round of the tournament. All right, we'll come back. Uh, we continue to roll through, get to the Midwest region and talk about that bottom half uh, because there's a lot of intriguing games there. Here. Thank you.